0: Yes? You're not recording the live stream? Oh, okay. Yeah. We don't need slides. <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need slides. You know, back in my day, we had cassette tapes, and there's no slides or, or, you know, all you, all you had was, <laughs> was was sheer voice, so... Uh, not, to, not to say that technology isn't a wonderful thing, and thank you, uh, Victor, for monitoring that for us. Okay, well, again, we are in the last section of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, verses 29 through 33. These are the last lessons of Joshua, um, but more specifically, there will be three lessons from three funerals here in the end of Joshua. And before we get into that, actually, um, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, or just listen. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Solomon writes in his um, God-given wisdom towards the end of his life, he says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. In other words, there are lessons to be learned at the end of life. There are lessons to be learned from those who who pass away and who leave a legacy, both good and bad, for our growth and our edification. And here at the end of the book of Joshua, we do find ourselves with three funerals from which the book concludes, but also from which we are to draw everlasting lessons. And so, uh, as I said earlier, we are going to draw three lessons from the three funerals presented here at the end of Joshua. And the first one is, I have the... Uh, the, the more acceptable way of saying it, and then the more controversial. Uh, but the first way to, to say it, to, that I'll say it is die as a servant. But really, you could also say die as a slave. And I know that's not a particularly um, edifying terminology to, to put it that way. In fact, there are uh, many who might see a phrase like die as a slave. And, and have all kinds of negative connotations and baggage with that. But that is indeed what we see here at the end of Joshua's life. In verse 29 of Joshua 24, likely not Joshua writing this. We believe he wrote most of the rest of Joshua, but he probably didn't write this part about how he died. Um, so this is some other, you know, Holy Spirit-inspired prophet or editor. In the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. Joshua, the book of Joshua, began with the transition from Moses to Joshua after the death of Moses. And now we see here at the end of the book of Joshua, this title that was reserved for Moses that you don't see uh, attributed to Joshua until here, this this title, the servant of Yahweh. And as we've said before, but just by way of reminder, when you see in your Bibles, capital L-O-R-D, that's not a... Uh, A title, you know, Lord, so-and-so, but this is the personal covenant name of God. In other words, Moses, prior to Joshua, was the special, significant servant of Yahweh, um, his personal slave, if you will, and Joshua now here at the end of his life has also attained this title. He died at 110, which is 10 years younger than when Moses died, Um, but Really, the significance here, if you're reading this, is that, that Joshua had attained to the same stature or very close to the same stature and, and height of leadership as Moses did. And what was, what's the title that you, that you are granted when you achieve the pinnacle of leadership in Israel? Servant of Yahweh, or even slave, the Hebrew word that can be translated both. This is the greatest title that anyone Person ever receives in the Bible. Servant. Even Jesus himself said so many times. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 20, as the disciples are are arguing about who will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus tells them this Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. Jesus called them to him, the disciples. And said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. A few chapters later in Matthew 23, verse 11 he says again, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So here it is the summation of. Joshua's life. And you might read it if you didn't know the context of Moses achieving this title. You might say he worked all of that. He was so faithful. He had, he had gone through so many trials and tribulations from dealing with the, the frustrating Israelites and their sin to dealing with the, the conquering of the pagans um, and leading these armies into battle and bearing the burden of leadership and, and the title that he achieves by the end of it. Servant. Slave. Slave. Of Yahweh. And yet, that is the kind of kingdom that God ordained. This is an impact that, if you read in verse 31, lasted. It blessed others. The servant leadership blessed Israel. Israel served, and that's the same, that's the verb form of the noun servant. Israel served Yahweh all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that Yahweh did for Israel. In other words, Joshua's servant leadership had an impact even beyond his own life because those who were under his charge, Israel was blessed, we've seen that. But even those elders after Joshua died, they were also impacted, blessed, and were faithful because Joshua was a servant leader. When we think of application, we ask the simple question, what would you want on your tombstone? What is the greatest title that you could hope to achieve? Maybe you don't fancy yourself leadership material. Maybe you're not the type, you know, to take the reins of a situation or command a group of people into battle. Maybe you've never been and don't want to be a manager or president or director. Yet all of us can be and must be servants, And this is the hope, is that God sees those who toil and serve and slave away, and he has for them awaiting a great treasure in heaven. The greatest title and position is reserved for those who serve the most, who give the most, who are most humble. And we see this by example in the life of Joshua here. For all of his achievements, for all of his exercise of leadership, dealing with problematic people, um, pleading with the Lord, the height, the pinnacle of who he is could be summed up as servant of Yahweh. Lesson one in this first funeral is die as a servant, die as a slave. The second funeral we see is the burial of Joseph. This lesson is, uh, well. I'll just say it up front, but lesson number two, from the second funeral is to die with an undying faith. Verse 32, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem and the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. Well, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, they were carting around the bones of Joseph. All around, you know, in the, from the Exodus to the wanderings of the 40 years to the, the conquest and the decades there. And they, they buried, or they carried around the bones of Joseph. What's, what's happening here? Well, it might seem a little bit um, macabre, as they say. Um, but this is actually a very sweet testimony of faith. Go back to Genesis 50. If you remember, at the end of Genesis, you had um, the 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 sons of Jacob that would become the twelve tribes. Um, They have been brought to Egypt. Because Joseph, through a series of uh, providential events, has become second in command of Egypt. And, and through his leadership, he has saved his brothers. He has saved his father, Jacob, um, and, and uh, kept them from famine. So the whole family is in Egypt, and Joseph is about to die. And this is what Joseph says, Genesis 50, verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children, that's his son, of the third generation. So he saw his great-great-grandchildren. I think that's how that works. Uh, The children also of Mahir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own, and Manasseh's uh, Joseph's other son. So he's talking about his his kids' kids. And Joseph said to his brothers, the the tribes of Israel, or who would become the tribes of Israel, I am about to die I know sometimes uh, some might accuse Joseph of pride or arrogance or something along those lines because, you know, he had the coat of many colors, he was the favored son, and all those things. But nowhere and anywhere in the Bible do we ever have any impression of Joseph except that he was faithful to the Lord. And he was faithful even up to the point of his death. Even his bones were going to be a testimony to his trust in the promise of of God. Because essentially what he's saying is, we are in Egypt, but this is not the promised land. And one day we will be there. And when we enter into the promised land, that's where I want the final resting place of my bones to be. He knew the day would come when God would fulfill his promises to his people. And so he binds them to this hope as well. His faith causes them to have to also do something, and he makes him promise to bring his remains to be buried in that promised land. And so uh, in the book of Exodus, the time of Moses is hundreds of years, 400 years after the death of Joseph. So they spent 400 years in Egypt, not going back to the promised land. So think about this is a a promise that he made that they thought of, and they kept in mind for 400 years. I, I mean, That's many, 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 many generations. Imagine your great, 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 great grandfather made some kind of promise that he expected you to keep, right? I don't even know what the name of my great, you know, great grandfather is. Maybe my dad knows, but there's a certain point where you you probably don't know unless you're the type to have this very, you know, good genealogy or something. But there's no way I'd be keeping a promise or even know to keep a promise that someone 400 years ago in my heritage made. See, Joseph's faith in his sins was so binding that it it was something they passed on very, very faithfully. Exodus 13, verse 19. So this is after the the plagues, after they are uh, let go. This is after the Passover, um, and they're leaving out of the land. Exodus 13, 19. They did not forget (laughs) Joseph. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Hebrews 11, 22 mentions that this was an act of faith on the part of of Joseph. Hebrews 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So this was an act of faith even up to the very point of his death. A faith that even in a sense goes beyond his own earthly life. And now here at the end of Joshua 24, again, there's a certain sweetness to this. The bones have finally returned. It's been almost 500 years at this point. Or maybe, you know, they're not exactly sure. Some countries say that this, is, this might have occurred more early on and maybe not right at the end, but just sort of to end Joshua. They put these these last, you know, funerals together. Either way, this is a sweet moment for Joshua's faith finally to be, come to fruition, you could say. And there's even a sweetness to this fact that in Joshua uh, 24, it says that he was buried in the plot of land that Jacob purchased. That happened in Genesis 33, 19. But, uh, so well before the events of... Um, of Egypt and all those things, jo- uh, Jacob had purchased this land, probably not knowing his own beloved son, remember J- Joseph was the favored one, would not be buried there until almost 500 years later. And that's why Joshua mentions it. This is a faithful man who made a, a f- had a faith-based relationship that spanned even 500 years after his death to bring about this promise. What's the application for us? What can we learn from this second funeral? Die with an undying faith. How much faith did it take to say, even if I don't see it in my lifetime, I believe. Death should remind us that death is not the end for any of us. Either our actual life, because there is an existence beyond this earthly one, but even the legacy that we leave behind. Our faith needs to be an undying faith in the sense that it is something that we have passed on to the next generation. To be faithful even in death is one of the greatest gifts to give to the next generation. I know I've mentioned this before about uh, the testimony of of my mom when she found out that she had cancer. At that point, she had about, I think, six months to live. Um, And so Um, She made every effort in those last months (laughs) to urge my cousins to read their Bibles, go to church, make sure their faith was real. My dad says even to this day, and my mom passed away in uh, Mm 2012, oh yeah, you're right, yeah, 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 thank you. (laughs) I was going to say 2009, but that was from no, 2012. uh, right around Mother's Day of 2012. So thank you. Um, And so that's a a little over 10 years ago. But my dad still mentions that the way that my mother died, he had never seen such a display of faith. It it resonated with him well after she passed away. And and to me, too, because I I realized how much harm you can do at the end of your life. Just imagine the kind of words you could say to someone and then die. (laughs) And you just leave them with criticism, harshness, accusations, blame, and then just die. And then that person has to deal with that <laughs> without having, being able to reconcile. Just I imagine the kind of harm you could do. Um, but my mom, she was very faithful um, in, in those days. And she wasn't a perfect woman or anything like that. But for sure, in those days, she left me an example of her priorities, resonate with me, resonated with my dad. I know it resonated uh, with others as well. To have a faith that went beyond her own life. She had an undying faith, and now um, her reward is in heaven, and she lives eternally, of course. But here, even on this side of heaven, her faith is continuing to echo on. And that's something we should strive for as well. We're gonna, it, 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 integrates into the next lesson, so I think maybe I'll just um, segue into that right away. But just to think, lesson two, die with an undying faith. Because thirdly, the third lesson we need to learn is we can't let the next generation die. The third lesson from the third funeral is don't let the next generation die. Or we are always one generation away from destruction, doom, apostasy, fill in the adjective, okay? We're always one generation away. We have there in verse 33, the death of Eliezer, the son of Aaron. Eliezer, the son of Aaron died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phineas his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. What is the significance? Well, he was a significant figure. Uh, He was the priest at the time, being a descendant of Aaron, the high priest. So Eliezer was uh, the the high priest of the time, and he governed the religious affairs. But really, the reason that he is mentioned is because he is the last man who had left Egypt. This is the end of an era. This is the last one who represented that generation of people. He was finally the last one to die. And the question is, what happened with the next generation? We'll turn just a few pages over. Judges 2, 6 through 11. There's a little bit of a rehashing here. Judges 2, 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. Good. And the people served Yahweh all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great work of Yah- uh, that Yahweh had done for Israel. Almost word for word from Joshua 24. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his, in his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know Yahweh or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh and served the Baals. And they abandoned Yahweh, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked Yahweh to anger. Now, when it says that they did not know Yahweh or the work that they had done for Israel, this isn't an ignorance that they were not told. It's a way of saying that they were told, but they didn't listen. It's not as if they did not have grain ingrained into their head, that generation. Here's what God has said. Here's what God has done. It's not that. It's that their knowledge meant nothing if there was no obedience to follow it. It might as well have been complete ignorance. They knew, they did know better, let's say in their head, but their heart was elsewhere. Death should remind us that each generation must be found faithful. That you, you cannot just ride on the successes of the, your parents, your grandparents, um, your pastor, the previous pastor, uh, your your church. That every generation, every Every son, every daughter must be found faithful in their own faith. Or as it's often been well said, that God has no grandchildren, just children. So every generation must be found faithful. A few statistics here, and this is 2018, 2018. The median church size is 75 people in America. Median doesn't mean average. It means that half the churches in America are smaller than 75, and half the churches in America are greater than 75. That's not as important a statistic as the next one. The median church age in America is 73 years, meaning half of the churches in America are younger than 73, and half of the churches in America are over 73 and that puts us a little bit on the, uh, the older side of churches in America. And uh, that is quite a testimony. <laughs> 90 years is pretty good. If you think about it, that means we've survived a couple generations of potential apostasy, right? Like two and a half, almost maybe three generations. We've done it. We've made it. That's not small, a small achievement by any stretch of the imagination, especially given this reminder that it takes but one generation uh, for a church to go astray. Another statistic from 2022. This was a a study, I think, done by Lifeway. According to the U.S. Census Bureau's 2019 American Community Survey, 17% of Americans are 65 and older. 33% of U.S. congregations are 65 and older. Right, So if you looked at just the, the demographics of America as a whole, 17%, 65 and older. But the church reflects an older uh, congregation. Double that number are uh, senior citizens in churches. In other words, the church doesn't reflect just like the average of what's going on in the culture. It, it uh, tends a little older. The other age group where congregations differ dramatically from the U.S. as a whole is 18 to 34-year-olds. Young adults make up 23% of the population, but only 14% of churches. In other words, there are more of the older generation than in the American public and less of the younger generation than the rest of the public. In other words, the general trend in American churches, hopefully not our church, reveals that passing faith on to the next generation is a concern. Some in the secular world, and sometimes even in our churches, can have a, a short-sighted view that the next generation has to figure it out themselves. And I'm doing okay as long as I'm comfortable and all right. Who cares about the next We had to figure it out for ourselves, and so let the next generation figure it out for themselves too. And yet we see the disaster that can come upon a people. We see it in the history of Israel. We see it, frankly, in, in the history of a lot of churches there is a duty for people to pass on their faith to the next generation. Not meaning that I can somehow give it to you. I mean, Paul said he wishes that he could almost exchange his salvation for the salvation of the Jews, but but you can't. But you can pull yourself out for them. But there is certainly an attitude uh, all throughout, even up until this point in Joshua that the Israelites they needed to pass this on not just by precept not just you know put you in a school and re, you know recite the catechism but in their life in their heart to pass on their faith uh, we saw it in Joshua chapter 4 when they crossed over the Jordan and remember they built that pillar of stones and why why did we build that so that we might tell our children and our children's children what God did on this day Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1 Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that Yahweh your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear Yahweh your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. There was an obligation that each generation needed to hear And yes, they needed to make their own choice. Everyone does, but that they, for their part, needed to be faithful. And we know already, because of what we talked about last time in Joshua 24, that this generation of parents had already fumbled the ball. They'd already compromised with the false gods. They'd already had foreign gods in their households. So it's not a stretch. You're not trying to make the presumption here that, oh, the Israelites did everything right, and the next generation still screwed it up. No, Joshua had already rebuked this people. Now, it says that Yahweh served, uh, or that Israel served Yahweh all the days of Joshua, And uh, that means that, yes, they were willing to be corrected. And yes, at least in the externals, they did do what was right in the eyes of God. But we know that they were just a hair's breadth away from apostasy. So there's, you know, knock me over a feather that their children went full blown into wickedness. Now. Of course, we as Christians too, we have a duty and an obligation to pass on our faith as well. You, you can't make a guarantee with your children that if you teach them the right thing and even exemplify it, um, that they will be saved. But as much as it depends on us, we hear Paul even telling Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, you then my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, Timothy, you need to be able to pass this on to others who will pass it on. You have four generations of believers. Paul, Timothy, Timothy to those who entrust it to others. Four levels of generation that Paul is uh, referencing here. Now, notice that he says to pass this on to faithful men. It's not that teaching them makes them faithful. is that you find people that are faithful to begin with, and then you pass it on to them. So what can we do? What must we do if we want to see the next generation not die, but thrive? Well, like Joshua, be a servant leader. Die as a slave. Like Joseph, have an undying faith that up until even your last breath, You are calling people to hope in God. Whereas from Moses to Joshua, there was a clear succession. Joshua has no clear successor, right? God was clear that Moses, after you died, Joshua. Joshua is going to be the one to lead you into the land. But God does not seem to imply anywhere in Joshua who is next, who will receive that baton in the relay a race of faith. Why not? There's nothing explicitly stated why God chose to not do that. What we have, though, is the history of Israel. So whereas we don't have any explicit statement, God said, you know, we're going to try and experiment here. We're going to see how this goes without a leader. He doesn't say anything like that. We just see the history play out that without a leadership uh, leader, the Israelites could not manage themselves. And we see that in the time of Judges. You had to keep raising up Judges. It's almost like, well, let's try it again without a leader. And then they fall into sin. And yet we see that in the history of Israel, even with a leader, the good ones eventually died. So even if there was good times with a good leader, they ended when that man died. But for the most part in the history of Israel, what you read is that most of the leaders were still wicked the way was being paved by example, by history history being our theology, that we need a king that is perfect, that can lead as a slave, who would be faithful to the death, but also beyond death, who would have an undying faith that would even surpass the grave. And by his suffering, by his leadership, He would preserve, save the next generation. In other words, we need a sovereign Lord and suffering servant all in one, an anointed one who would come and be God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. And we know that this one's name is Jesus, that he is the one who died as a slave, and yet had a faith that lived beyond his own death, even resurrecting him from the dead, and that by his sacrifice, a generation could be saved. That's how we live. That is the call at the end of Joshua here. It points us to Jesus, these three funerals, and it points us to how we ought to live our lives like Jesus, who's the perfect example of all of these things. And so, we close out the book of Joshua, looking ahead to Christ and the need for Christ. Any questions or comments as we wrap up? It's a shorter sermon today. We've got a little bit of time. If anyone wants to bring up any question or comment about the book of Joshua before we close it, now's your time. <laughs> yes, Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> and they never won. Some of these guys, if you have seen them in their 20s or early 30s, even never thought at all that they ever would. Yeah. So, you know, there's, a, there's a, another aspect to, especially a grace filled religion uh, or faith like that, is that, you know, you really have to get booted in the rear end of life. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> so putting it kindly. <laughs> yeah. <remedies>. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <you> know, <laughs> Oh sure. it's a shame,
1: I mean, it really would, it's a shame that you can't see this.
0: But Yeah. You know, this might change too because the youth is so drenched in such evil now, mm-hmm. which is different in my generation. My e- generation is, it's it's yeah. Right? yeah. And and so, and that's very true. Uh, Right, that's a very good point. They're going to see these things quicker than
1: I did because there's
0: protection. That's a that's a great point, Patrick. I mean, that's why um, Solomon said, you know, better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Um, and to see sort of a death uh, more up front, I think it, it matures you. It makes you think about what life is really about. And unfortunately, kids these days, they've got that kind of death sort of uh facing them you know and literally i mean there's rise of suicide and, and all those things but even just seeing more and more loved ones you know succumb to overdosing and 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 all kinds of things that are going on right now that uh hopefully hopefully it draws them um to ask those big questions yeah alan and we will go over here yes you a funeral back five hundred years, right? yeah yeah he did so he yeah the, this is a second funeral, yeah <laughs> um I, I assume in some kind of box actually is I, I'm almost positive they would have uh, stuck it in some kind of like um ossuary, maybe i don't know yeah, a, a bone box i mean they, they wouldn't have just had them in a bag or something like that, no they, you know they, they had some kind of um, carriage for it, yeah, <laughs> some means. I, I have no idea what the logistics were, but it was some kind of detail probably for the Levites. So you're on, um, I mean, it's not like, it, at least in the wandering, yeah. I mean, now at this point, you know, maybe they buried it sooner than later. It's, it's, It doesn't say actually when they did it. It just says, as for the bones of Joseph, they were buried so-and-so. It doesn't actually say when it happened, but the person who was writing this wanted to include it to kind of, um, put this as the, the ending, you know, to, to Joshua, um, and really the story of the entering the promised land. It, it really does kind of um, begin in, uh, with, in a way, Joseph, because he, um, he's the reason they were all in Egypt and needed to make this trek into the promised land. So it's kind of, um, you know, it comes back, yeah, full circle kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, technically he had two burials, I, I suppose you would say, um, but this one is uh, significant kind of interesting, you know, like, you know, you're talking about hundreds of years, like hundreds of years taking these, well, hundreds of years, it was just buried there, right? Um, but then at the Exodus is when they had to, to take it around. So then they only took it around for, you know, 40 plus years, I suppose. Um, still kind of peculiar to us, I guess. But then people carry around the ashes of loved ones and urns and things. So maybe not as weird as we think. Okay, I know
1: Yeah. And how important that is, because then you're separated by miles. I mean, your kids get married, they go that state. We're here. We were in the Marine Corps. We were everywhere. But that's what we did to convey to them that Harry and I were believers in the Lord
0: Jesus Christ, and they had the dates of when we were saved. Mm-hmm. 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 That means that when they have a birthday, I make sure
1: that they have scripture texts in their birthday cards, mm-hmm. and that I'm telling them
0: I'm praying for you with the love of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now we're not responsible whether they're going to respond. Right. We don't know how that is going to work out. Right. But I've done
1: what I was supposed to do.
0: Yep. Yep. So Yeah. And and that's the best we could do. But I think it goes back to reading the Word and how important family is, and and bringing it together in Christ. Yeah, I mean. How we stand for the Word of God and for what Christ did in our lives. Sure, sure. <laughs> I know some people are. Saying, that's that's whole Don't oh, know what does that make me. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. Coming to faith. Yeah. Right. 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 Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Whether,
0: whether they accept it or not is not my responsibility, but I'm responsible to make it clear that we stand for Jesus. Well that's what Josh was doing. Yeah. He says it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right. That that's that's right. His, uh, his testimony was he knew very much that he couldn't control what every Israelite was doing and certainly couldn't control what Every Israelite would do it after he died, but he could demonstrate by his own life an example, and he could also lay the charge on them uh, of, of uh, who God is and what God requires. So that's all we can do is what we can do, in a sense. Um, Mm-hmm. Helps for spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. Quotes, scripture texts, mm-hmm. whatever God lays on my heart, I study. It. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we, it's it's a full time job. Yeah, and and it's not just. I mean, even if you don't have kids, even if you never get married, you still have these. Um, responsibilities. You still have a church family that you belong to. There's still, you know, many of us uh, here at the church, I and mean, Chen's could attest to this, didn't grow up in Christian homes. And so, you know, they, they didn't have parents who pass it on to them. And so they need spiritual fathers and mothers uh, as we all do. And so there's always an opportunity. It's kind of like the thing about um, being a servant, like everyone can be a servant of Yahweh. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, your, your gifts, your skill sets, um, where you work for, who you work for, any of that, everyone can be a servant of Yahweh. And in the same way, every one of us has, um, a, a duty to not let the next generation die. I mean, that is what we're here for is, uh, to pass on the faith, um, through evangelism, discipleship, all of those things. Even if you don't have kids, even if you're single, um, even if you're, um... <laughs> yeah, I, I... <laughs> this, is, this is a somewhat silly thing, but um, I remember in college, um, I was at a, a uh, like a college group meeting at a friend's church and the youth pastor there who was married, he was telling us about this uh, kind of silly club that he and his friends came up with called the Lobster's. This is is stood for loyal order of bachelors sworn to eternally remain single. All right. (laughs) But you see, they had all gotten married. So, you know, the club died. Well, at the time I was single and I had a bunch of single friend guys. I'm like, I will inherit this title from you. This sounds amazing. So we made a little group and then uh, all those guys, they got girlfriends, they got married, and then uh, for a while it was, it was oysters, which is only Yuri sworn to eternally remain single. <laughs> <laughs> but sadly, the you know it kind of it kind of uh, end, ended with me there. I didn't try to pass that on to to anyone. Well, even even if we had sworn to eternally remain single. Um, and we're single the rest of our lives. We would still have the same duty and charge to pass on our faith. It doesn't absolve you of the responsibility to see the next generation flourish uh, in Christ. Uh, whether you have your own children or own family or not, you're part of the family of God and the people of God. And so we always have that, uh, that duty. Any other last or final comments about Joshua 24? I'm not exactly sure what's what's going to happen after Joshua. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna fill in the the gap between you know figuring out what I'm gonna do next uh, with uh, with a few different things. But uh, pray for that. Um, pray for where the Lord's leading with that. Um, last chance to no, this is not your last chance. You think of something, you feel free to call, email, text, or whatever. I'd love to talk with you more about Joshua. So okay, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, um, Lord, for your faithfulness. We see it. We see your fingerprints all over uh, this uh, the, the story, the life of Joshua. And uh, in a way, I am sort of uh, sad to close out this book um, because I, I feel certainly I've learned uh, much from looking at Joshua's life. I see areas where I, I lack. I see areas where I'm in a similar situation. And Lord, it's, um, it's great to see the opportunities um, that you have for us. But I pray, Lord, that most of all we would see a life of of faith. Um, that wherever we are, whether we are leading a a nation to follow you, conquering our enemies, or whether we um, are just students, or or retired, wherever we are, that we would live this life of faith. We can do it. There's something, God, that you are calling us to do and be at every stage of our life. We see that. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to that. And so thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We pray now for a time of fellowship over the food that would be uh, encouraging to our souls, the food would be nourishing to our bodies, and that we'd be able to glorify you in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all. And, of course, join us for a time of fellowship around the table if you're able to. Otherwise, stay dry and safe as you drive home. So thank you all.